0: This episode of Beauty and the Gee brought to you by thefighthub.com. You should get on thefighthub.com and go to the brand section in shopping because Role Model has their own section. So that's obviously R-O-L-L for Role Model, but we have geese, brash guards, face masks, t-shirts, tank tops, patches, and coming soon, we're going to have gear bags.
1: Welcome to Beauty and the Gee, the podcast about jujitsu jitsu and life on and off the mat. I'm Jen Eads, a white belt full of curiosity and questions about all things jujitsu, And I'm AJ Klingerman, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt
0: obsessed with jiu And with us, we have Miss Natalie Boss. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to see what you have in store for me. Absolutely. Would you kind of introduce yourself? I mean, obviously, we told them your name, and that's in the title of the show. But uh, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah. So um, I feel like I have a lot of multifacets to me. So I'll start in the jujitsu realm. I'm a brown belt in jujitsu, brown belt in judo. I've been a lifelong martial artist. And as far as career-wise, I'm a registered dietitian and I really focus on female athletes and not only optimizing nutrition, but I've really taken more of a overall performance approach. And my approach and what I do is very holistic. So I encompass kind of like the whole athlete. And my main thing is not just like nutrition for training, but also mindset, recovery, and integrating the other elements um, to really optimize performance for the athlete as a whole. And so that's kind of what my main uh, shindig is i'm also a breathwork facilitator which i weave in my coaching because that's part of kind of that holistic approach to optimizing performance so i'm also a gym owner in philadelphia um or co-gym owner and we own hibero philadelphia in chinatown philly if you ever want to stop by please do and other things i do i'm also a kettlebell instructor and teacher so i have a with um my partner we have a kettlebell certification program. And then I also teach the group kettlebell fitness classes that we have. So I think that sums up what I do on a daily basis. (laughs) So you're
1: just doing a few things.
2: (laughs) Just Just a (laughs) couple. And you're about to add mom to that list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I'm excited to see how that all transitions uh, with the mom, but uh, I am having a home birth on the mats. So I'm really excited to kind of birth them on the mats. I think that'll be really fun. That's awesome. That is. What a cool idea. That's very cool.
0: That's uh, something we wanted to talk to you a little bit about too. So um, the audience might recognize your voice because we did the Q&A. We put out that episode a couple weeks back. So they might recognize your voice from that because you came and did a workshop at the Role Model Women's Only Grappling Camp. Yes. And you had mentioned that day a little bit about feeling like You know, you were going to get behind because of being pregnant and everything. And I'd like to talk about that just from the perspective of pregnancy, injury, and really COVID. I was talking to Jen before we started about, you know, people that are off the mats right now because of COVID, you know, and feeling like they're falling behind because of it. So, and me being one of those
1: people.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, we'd love to hear your insight on that. Yeah. So, it's a very common thing that a lot of, athletes in general, but we'll stick to when female athletes, especially with hundreds of athletes that I've coached. It's, it's a really deep-rooted pattern, though, that it's just manifesting itself during COVID. Um, we've often seen this type of thought process with not feeling ever good enough or feeling that we're doing enough. It's like the scarcity pattern that um, most people have basically just developed through conditioning over the years And what I've noticed most with COVID is that those patterns that we've been able to stifle or maybe didn't even realize were really holding us back are really showing their face um, with COVID and not being able to train. And it's getting heightened because we're not able to potentially make that physical progress. Those thoughts may have still been already there of, man, I'm not doing good enough. I'm not coming to class enough. But now that they don't have that to actually go to, now they're just like, oh my gosh, I'm even more behind. And it's really, just something that everybody experiences. And because I've been doing a lot of this work on myself to really understand these types of patterns that we have and conditionings that we have from a psychological perspective, it was something that was really brief for me. It was just like kind of just an initial thought I had. um, And I felt it for a little bit and then realized, you know, I just really wanted to shift more into gratitude of having the opportunity to have a baby. There's lots of women who struggle with fertility. You know, so just really shifting your mindset is so, so important. And when it comes to this specific thing that we're talking about of like feeling like you're behind, I mentioned it briefly of this idea of like being in scarcity. And so when you focus on gratitude, you shift from an energetic state of like lower vibration scarcity to a higher vibration state of abundance. And so when you do that, you pull yourself out of like this negative headspace that could potentially spiral you. I like that. Yeah. That might have been a mouthful.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. It's all in my head and it's totally going to be fine. It's just frustrating to see everybody out doing the thing and (laughs) I'm not.
0: (laughs) And you miss it. You miss your friends. You miss the
1: activity. Yeah. Yeah. it, it It is tough. Yeah. I mean, I actually probably miss my friends more than Getting choked. But, you know. Weird. So weird. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't feel normal. <laughs> I just miss my friends choking me, I guess, is what it is.
2: Yeah. And yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the biggest direct redirection that I encourage athletes to do during this time and that I personally had to do myself is focus on what you have been avoiding that you know that will optimize your performance. Because like I said, I focus on a holistic perspective when it comes to performance. And so training is what I call only one of the pillars of performance. I have Mm -hmm. there's six pillars and there's training. Ooh, tell us those. Yeah. So there's training, which encompasses kind of cross-training, jujitsu. Um, that's kind of like all training as nutrition is just obviously food, your relationship to food, what you're eating, you know, your needs, etc. Um then there's self-care, which is really like filling your cup up and it's really complementary to the, the training system of really making sure that we're taking care of ourselves, which is something I'm really passionate about, especially when it comes to female athletes and moms um, in the sport, because we often realize that they, you know, give, give, give all their energy and they don't ever take time to fill up their own cup, as I call it. So self-care is really important um, to give you that mental clarity. Then we have mindset, which <laughs> number one thing across the board every athlete struggles with. And when I survey women all the time, 100% it's mindset of different degrees of stuff that's holding them back. So that's huge, has to be addressed. Recovery and then sleep. So recovery is really focusing on just that anabolic phase. So training really breaks down our muscle tissue and, and the recovery, I like to think of it as like the yin and yang, recovery and training. And um, oftentimes that's what I was kind of like celebrating to myself when COVID hit. Because I knew that all the overtrainers were going to be forced into a recovery phase. And for me, mm-hmm. I was like dancing because I, was, I knew that that's what most people need, even though they mentally might not be able to handle it. Their bodies were probably craving that. So um, recovery is often really underlooked. And there's a lot of mindset blocks around recovery because, as you said, everybody feels that they actually have to be doing more and more and more all the time in order to get better. And it's actually not the approach. What we need is the balance between recovery and training. And then we have sleep which across the board is also often neglected or just not optimized. Um, And that's due to energy management as well and just priorities and stuff. So these are the six pillars of performance. And really when COVID hit, the only thing that got affected was training. And so this gives you opportunity and room for growth and all the five other pillars. And so when you think of it from that perspective of like, Oftentimes, we focus on the one thing we don't have, and we're like, oh, I don't have training. My life's ruined. But what if you could use that time to optimize your nutrition? What if you could use that time to really work on some mindset stuff that's holding you back so when you are able to train, you can go in with a full force? Or optimizing your sleep, optimizing your recovery. So many people have so many injuries, and I believe it's pretty preventable through diet and just allowing their bodies time to recover. And It's just a a good pivot point for my advice for people who are going through this is to realize that, you know, instead of focusing on that one thing that you don't have right now, if you focus on these other areas, this is what's going to help build you as a more complete athlete for when you're ready to go back to training. And so that's kind of, if you're in that boat of not feeling like, you know, you're able to train as much as you'd like or at all, you know, just realize that this is an opportunity, not so much a setback. I think that's great advice. I it love is. that.
0: I think for me, like when the actual shutdown happened, I mean, probably the answer might have been rest, but uh, that's what I did the worst at because <laughs> I then started like lifting seven days a week and training, you know, multiple hours a day and uh, because I wasn't able to go to work, but I had the like mental recovery that I really, really needed. And it really like kind of made me change my boundaries coming back back. But so yeah. it was kind of the opposite for me. I like trained harder, but mentally I really needed that break. So. Awesome.
1: All makes sense now. <laughs> it's good. It's good. No, what's funny is that I'm like, oh, I must've needed to really hear that because I saw something similar in an email that I got today about shifting your focus. And I was like, oh, universe, Isn't funny how that <laughs> <Yeah>. happens. <laughs>
0: it's like you're going to hear this over and over until you accept it.
2: <laughs> I, that's exact. And then it's going to just drop on my head. It's always exactly the what you need. Yep. yep. Yeah. I love it how that works.
1: <laughs> and and now at least I have the good sense to recognize it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like the first couple times. Awareness is the first step.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: <laughs> so true.
0: One thing you talked about in your workshop at camp was just like what a plate should look like, you know, like what you should be eating with each meal. Um, can you kind of talk about that a little bit now? Yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: so, my approach to nutrition is really simple. Um, I teach, obviously, intricacies. You know, as athletes, there's, you know, more detailed and leveled up uh, parts of nutrition. But when we really break it down to the simple simplicity as much as possible, it's really just about balance. And that's something that um, those who maybe have been following my work for a while know that I probably say balance at least a thousand times a week because it's the number one (laughs) thing I focus on. And that's also the root of the pillars of performance is the balance. So when it comes to on your plate, it's no different. And really all it is, is a combination of four food groups that you just want to ensure you're having with every meal. And you might say, it might sound simple, but when I do food audits, nine out of 10 times, there's only like two food groups on the plate. And if you just make a small switch by adding one to two of the other ones that you're missing, you will notice astronomical increase in energy, in digestion, which is a huge one, um, as well as just better recovery and overall sleep. So you can see how it really one small change in your diet can actually affect all the other pillars in a positive way. So the four food groups are protein, carbs, fat, fat, and fiber. And I like to think of fiber as basically vegetables, although there are obviously tons of other foods that have fiber in it, beans, um, fruit, but those, their composition is mainly carbohydrates. So I usually categorize them under the carbohydrate section and really focus on like the low calorie vegetables that we all kind of think is a vegetable would be under that category. So for instance, like a potato would be under the carb section, even though it's, you know, a produce if that makes sense. So it's really just those four components. And it really is that simple. And what I would say is, if you want to focus on at least adding one, it's going to be the veggies. Veggies are what give you the nutrients you need in order to really repair. So if you have injuries in order to recover better, in order to have the energy that you need to work in your metabolism, to have fat loss, to have muscle building, whatever it is, you need the actual substrates that vegetables provide. So as simple as I can say it, I call it the balanced meal guidelines. And it's composing your plate of those four ingredients or those four components.
0: And you're not a huge fan of snacking, correct? I am not a huge
2: fan of snacking. And I know there's a lot of <laughs> schools of thought on that. Um, but the way our body works is we're not really designed to be eating every hour. You know, it's just not the way we're supposed to be designed. If we follow this balance, we're actually going to notice that we are sustained for a good amount of hours. If you, can do it, if you can do it right in the sense of the four food groups in appropriate portion you should be held off till four o'clock. And I mean, held off with not thinking about food until like four o'clock and you won't be ravenous. You'll just be ready to eat. And I believe this is such, not only biologically, I'll go into that in a second, but like mentally, this is actually, I believe freeing because I've been there where you're thinking about food every hour. And it also, that takes away your capacity to focus on other things in life. So if you're at work and you're constantly starving, you're like, oh, what am I gonna eat? What am I gonna eat? I'm sure some people can relate to this. It's like so many people are like, when am I ever going to stop thinking about food? <laughs> and, and part of that is if we can just compose our plate in a way where we are not hungry, then that's going to take, a, it's going to give you a lot of mental space back to focus on some other things other than food. So that's more of the mental side of it. And then biologically, you know, our bodies kind of always work in rhythm And if we think about even like caveman times, they they didn't eat every hour. They ate, like they had, you know, rituals of like hunting and gathering and then cooking. And it was more like complete bigger feasts a few times a day than, um, you know, snacking every hour on empty calories. They had nutritious foods that were whole foods and they were eating them in a balanced way. And It's really applying that same principle. And also from a digestion standpoint, our digestive system, the way that it works is if we're eating every hour or every two hours, even what will happen is while the food that we eat at that first hour is going through our digestive system, wherever, if we eat again, that next hour, wherever that first piece of food was, it kind of gets, I don't want to say gets stuck there, but what will happen is you're going to reinitiate the beginning of your digestion again. So instead of allowing the full digestive process to happen from start to finish, we're basically stopping it and then restarting at the top. And this is what causes a lot of digestive issues such as bloating, IBS, indigestion, reflux, because it's getting stuck in our system. and It's not actually passing through. So this longer period of time actually allows the food to go through, which decreases chances of fermenting, bacteria growth, things like that. And then we just can actually reap the benefits of the energy because the thing is we don't get the energy from food until it's all the way done the process. Otherwise, it's just sitting in our system. How long does
1: the process typically take?
2: Well, overall digestion is, I believe it's like a whole like 24 to to 72 hour process, like from start to finish. Um, But like in general, the way that the food groups work is it takes about one to two hours for carbs to digest two to four hours for protein and four to six hours for fat. So if we think back onto the the balanced plate and we're including those proportions, as I said, if you can include all those proportions, you're going to be held over for four to five hours. So by the time all that food's digested, you're going to be ready to eat that next meal. So as I said, like for carbs, that's why when people only eat like toast for breakfast, it only takes one to two hours to digest. So that's why you're hungry an hour later. But if you add carbs with peanut butter, that little bit of protein and fat, obviously the the calorie content of that meal is not enough to sustain you for four hours, but at least adding a protein or a fat to that may sustain you for two hours, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense.
2: That explains a lot. So there's the components. Yeah, so there's the components of uh, the food groups. And then there's also the components of the portion sizes, which is really important. Because you can still have a balanced plate and have not enough calories. And so that's often a problem I also see. But what we want to do is get to that sweet spot of four to five hours. So crafting your plate in a way, and that's through trial and error experimentation, And that's something I help uh, my students within the program kind of accelerate that process so you don't have to trial and error for, you know, months to figure it out. But basically, you want to include those food groups, figure out the portions that work for you. And the rule of thumb is if you can be held over for a good four to five hours till your next meal, then you probably found a good sweet spot of what that should look like for you. Nice. That's very helpful. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm I'm definitely a snacker. Uh, Like (laughs) um, Jess Sunier, who also did a workshop at Camp makes fun of me all the time for the amount of snacks I keep on hand. Uh, And so when you said that, I leaned over to Risser and I was like, I wonder if Jess is like calling me out in her head right now. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, which Risser thought was hilarious that I thought that, you know, Jess was talking about me or thinking about me. And then Jess texts me, okay, uh, something about like – I bet you don't like that snack girl or something. (laughs) I was
2: like, yep, that's me. (laughs) But well, one thing I'll say about snacks, because I do believe they warrant a purpose. Um, number one is depending on your workout. So pre-workout nutrition is obviously important, but it really depends on, you know, the timing of your meal. So for instance, if you just had lunch and you're about to train two hours later, you don't have to have a pre-workout snack because your meal is most likely going to provide the energy that you need for that training. Where snacks come into play is kind of right where I said that four to five hours um, sweet spot is. If you're unable to have a meal due to whatever your schedule is at that four to five hour mark, that's when we would want to insert a snack so that we can keep our metabolism high and in that fat burning zone. So it doesn't transition into that starvation mode. You know, if we go through one of the biggest things I see is, this is literally, I can make this as a blanket statement because I think every athlete I've worked with experienced this. They'll work, they'll eat lunch and probably go all day without food. Then they'll go to training. And then at night, they may or may not eat. They most likely eat, but it turns into some type of binge episode because they were starving all day. And it was most of the time unintentional. It's just because they weren't fueling their body enough throughout the day. And so after burning all those calories, their body goes into overdrive and they basically crave a whole bunch of food. And that's, there's so many things that go wrong in the body when that happens, when we kind of gorge at night like that. But that's often what will happen. And so something that can really just mitigate that's a small change that could really mitigate that from happening. One, obviously eating balanced meals throughout the day. But two, having a snack that is going to help sustain that training if your time gap, I call it, your energy gap between meals exceeds that 45 hour time frame. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. What type of snacks would you recommend in that time then?
2: General rule of thumb for like all the sports dietitian guidelines is always going to be protein and carbs. So a protein and carb combination, it's a good question, um, is what you want to have. Now, it truly is trial and error. I know people who can use apple and peanut butter and have an amazing session and other people who it gives a massive reflux. So it really depends, like food-wise, it depends on the person and that's why trial and error is important, but it's carbs and protein across the board that you want to focus on. And as you get closer to the time that you're training, is going to dictate the portion size of that snack. So you can have a little bit of a bigger snack if it's two hours out, but if you're about to train 20 minutes of training or 30 minutes before training, you might want to have just carbs and focus on something that's less fiber. So maybe like a rice cake or something like that. But if you're having, if it's two, two hours out, you know, a piece of toast with peanut butter and jelly could actually be more substantial and give you the energy you need, but a rice cake wouldn't be enough because it's, it's going to digest way sooner than two hours. If that makes sense. Yeah.
1: I did not hear Cheetos on that list.
2: <laughs> Poor
0: Rachel. <laughs> What's she going to do? <laughs> Onions or, or anything. No
1: <laughs> what am I
2: going to do? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good option that can replace that, um, that will make you feel better. And I would say that maybe pretzel crisps or like, like pretzel thins are a great pre-workout that I love. Uh, That's the one time that you can actually have like simple carbs is before a workout as a pre-workout snack, because the biggest thing that we don't want before a workout is fiber. So I always joke and say, it's the number one time I'll tell you not to eat vegetables is before a workout because if you've ever eaten a vegetable before a workout, you'll realize you'll probably have gas, you'll probably just feel really full and this uncomfortable feeling. And nine out of 10 times, it's always neon belly week. So <laughs> it's just like, it always just happens to be like that exact me. Um, so I would just, fiber is something you don't want because part of the role of fiber is to help us stay fuller longer, but we don't want that when we're about to train. That we want just quick energy that can sustain us through the workout, but not in a way that's going to affect our digestion.
1: Good. That's very helpful. Yeah. Especially the fiber thing. Yeah. Super helpful. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Yeah.
0: Okay. So one other question I had is I know that you do a lot with breath work.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There are so many layers to breath work, but when it comes to being an athlete, as I mentioned earlier, some of the things that can help with is, which I've noticed a lot is anxiety in the sport. Um, I'd say anxiety, really learning how to, from a biological perspective that people may relate to, if they're not like too woo woo, (laughs) Um, because it can be a little woo woo. And I I can, I'm totally that way on my Instagram. If you want to kind of check it out there, but I know that not everybody kind of vibes or can connect with that or resonate. So like from a biological perspective, What we're doing with what our sport is, is we're constantly in a fight or flight mode, essentially, right? Like we are fighting. So we are in a fight or flight mode, which is the sympathetic nervous system. Now the complementary system to our nervous system is the parasympathetic. So what breathwork really helps us do is shift from this fight or flight response that we're constantly in, into a more grounded, grounded, Type of, uh, nervous system where we can be more restorative, more intentional, uh, with our movements and be more cognitive in the fight. So this is really important as an athlete. This is why I love integrating it because oftentimes when we are stuck in those anxieties and fears, whether it's, you know, fear of failure, fear of not doing good enough, or just fear because there's going to be somebody attacking you, um, We want to learn how to tune into our body to get grounded in that moment so we can be more cognitive in the fight and be more present in the fight. And breathwork is the number one way to do that. And it's it's completely transformed my performance, my life, my students' lives. And that's kind of what it is from a biological perspective.
1: I would like the woo-woo perspective as well.
2: (laughs) Okay, cool. So this is really coming down to more like psychology, so it's not that woo-woo, but basically we've developed, as I said earlier, kind of coping mechanisms and patterns in our life that were usually triggered when we felt unsafe as children. So when we felt, when the first time we've ever felt unsafe in our bodies, we've developed a coping mechanism. We probably all can relate to that. And oftentimes what we turn to when it comes to coping mechanisms is food, food, so emotional eating is something i work a lot with exercise, which overtraining is something I work a lot with or even overworking. So people who are working 60 plus hours a week and they can't slow down and they're always going and they never can rest. That's a coping mechanism. And what we've learned over the years is when we were children and we, like I said, got triggered to feel unsafe in our system. So we got activated in that fight or flight response, but we didn't have any healthy coping mechanism to turn to, we use what we had available to us. And that's usually what's in our external environment, which is why it's often exercise or food or even drugs, alcohol, things like that. And so what breathwork is, is it's basically a healthy coping mechanism. It's an internal coping mechanism, a way to connect to yourself in that time where you feel triggered and scared. And this is actually a great segue into one of the other things I've noticed working with athletes. But what we need to do and what breathwork helps us do is reconnect to our bodies, reconnect to safety, because that's what we need. And that's often why we we get crazy in our heads because we just don't feel safe. And so we're at this desperate attempt to try to feel safe. And we just were never taught how to use the safety that exists within us as the tool. And we were taught taught to use things outside of ourselves to feel safe. And does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. So breathwork is the the practice of really tuning into yourself, tuning into your intuition, connecting to that place and using that as your guide and using that as your place to find safety, which is so important in this sport. As I said, while I was getting into the more women that I worked with, it actually breaks my heart. And actually one of the exercises that you did at the role model camp, which I really enjoyed, just like the rawness of those questions where we were kind of sharing kind of our journeys or the stories that we were, you know, do you know what yeah. I'm talking about? AJ? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The rise for a role model. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the idea of like sexual assault and abuse, this is, it really like breaks my heart the amount of women who experience that, who I work with. And it's really opened my eyes and shifted a lot of the way that I coach because at the end of the day, that's what needs to be addressed more than nutrition because that's what's driving our behaviors. And that's ultimately, I I noticed that I'm such an advocate for martial arts. I've been doing it since I was seven, but it can be jiu jitsu has been a great thing for a lot of women but then it also triggers a lot of things in women due to past experiences of abuse and so breathwork is like literally if this is you listening to this right now and you're you're thinking like holy crap that's me you need to contact me about breathwork like asap because this is the number one tool that you need to start using in order to feel safe in your body so that you can develop a healthy relationship with jujitsu because it's always going to be some type of damage that relationship with jujitsu, if if this is the background that you're coming from. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So there's the two types. I know the one is a little bit deeper when it comes to breath work. Um, but like I said, it's I know that it can resonate because it's it's alarming to me. You know, 99 I can say percent of the women have experienced some type of abuse, physical, verbal, sexual, rape. And, or what's even infuriates me, you know, had experienced something like that with a jujitsu member, you know, being taken advantage of in the actual sport. And that's just not okay with me, especially because like martial arts is a way of living for me. And, you know, to just go against all the values of martial arts just really just bugs me, (laughs) but, but it makes me even more passionate to Empower women to take that, take their power back, and the best way to do that is through breath work. Because again, it's teaching you that you don't need anyone outside of yourself. You don't need to do anything else. You don't need to achieve anything. Being a world champion does not make you a better person. All you need to do is connect to yourself, and breath work is the number one way to bypass your mind, bypass the fears, the thoughts, the stuff going on in your mind, and get directly connected to your truth and your just intuition. And that if you lead from that place, your relationship with jujitsu yourself is just going to do nothing but flourish. I, I appreciate all of this. I feel like we could just ask questions all day.
0: Right? <laughs> <laughs> so much information. I know you do different like workshops and master classes and everything.
2: What do you have coming up? Yeah, so I'm constantly uh, pushing out different things to kind of share value. I guess what I have coming up is enrollment for my uh, performance blueprint mass, uh, performance blueprint coaching program. So it's an eight week. Lifestyle transformation program. Um, We basically focus on everything that I talked about today. Um, The pillars are kind of the foundation of that program, but we integrate breath work and I teach you a lot of the science behind everything. So, like the science of biologically what's happening in the body, as I shared a little bit today. Um, But then we're also integrating a lot of the tools so that you're actually making changes throughout the program. A lot of support. It's basically a coaching program to help you optimize your performance. Um, Now, I'm open, open. enrollment has opened, but it's going to be for January 2021. So that's kind of the next thing on my radar. Um, I'm trying to keep it. I'm not sure what to expect with my first baby, you know, like what to expect with a home birth. So like, I'm trying to, to keep things that I'm doing minimal just so I don't overextend myself and potentially, you know, have to deal with like an early birth or something that i'm not prepared for and then i have this plan so i'm like "Ah, a little bit i have a my next class starts october but then other than that i believe just the performance blueprint is going down starting january and that is open for enrollment now so anyone interested then feel free to reach out
1: and where can we do that
2: yeah. So um, I always, every single day, hang out on Instagram. So I would love for you to come, you know, check me out on Instagram. It's at Natty NattyBossRD, N-A-T-T-I-E-B-O-S-S-R-D. Um, the best way to contact me is either a DM through there. If you don't have Instagram, you can email me at natalie at bodybyboss.com. Or I'd love for you to join the Facebook group as well. Um, there's so many like challenges I do Facebook live in there every day, just tons of free content, over a thousand members. Um, and it's really just a place for you to get free content all around optimizing your performance. I do live breath work sessions in there. Um, so that would be another great place. So if you're more of a Facebook person, check me out on Facebook there. If you're more Instagram, check me out on Instagram. If you have none, then, uh, email would be the best way.
0: Great. I like, I like covering all the bases.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Do you have an on the mat tip for us for this episode?
2: Yeah. Whenever it comes to what I would say is, I don't know what, I guess the audience could be a wide range um, on this podcast. Yes. But I think across the board, what I would recommend and what has helped me the most is on the mat, focusing on your next step, wherever you are, whether you're in a, um, a top position or you're in a defensive position one of the biggest things that transformed my game was realizing that I don't have to figure out how to get from A to Z. I have to figure out how to get from A to B. And that little switch was really helpful in like mitigating anxiety and really helping me actually progress towards what I need to do. So for instance, you know, under side control, we're always so focused on like, oh, I got to get them out. Right. And it's like, First of all, you're at the bottom, girlfriend. You don't need to focus on getting to mouth. You need to focus on getting a knee shield in. Right? So it's like really just break down the techniques, take your time with it, but try to focus on like, what is the very next step that I need to do? And then once you get to that next step, it's like, what is the very next step I need to do? And breaking it down to that like very minuscule um, kind of step-by-step process has really, really helped me, especially in times of really bad positions where you start to have that freak out. It's like, ah, I got to get all the way over here. And it's like, wait, now all I need to do is put my hands on their hips. And like, that's my only goal. And it really helps you, especially, um, I guess this tip could be mainly for just the newer people, you know, purple belt and just under um, especially blue and white belt, because we're always like, oh, I get, got to win. And it's like, you're mounted right now. Win, <laughs> winning winning is not what you're be focusing on. But that'd be my on, my on the mat tip. Great. Do you have an off the mat tip for us? I guess what I would say when it comes to off the mat is just no matter what, trust your gut. But <laughs> the biggest thing has transformed my life is trusting my intuition and really getting rid of the, the notion or the pressure that I feel that I have to do what everybody else wants me to do and really just tuning into what do I wanna do, what feels good for me with the journey I'm on, with the goals that I have, with my body and knowing that that's enough because my intuition is meant specifically for me. So it wouldn't be talking to me if I wasn't supposed to listen to what it had to say. So if you can start to tune into your intuition, that would be the number one thing I think could make the biggest difference in your life. I love that. I do,
1: too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you very much. This has been great. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, everyone loved having you in the workshop at camp. And I hope that you'll be able to come back to future camps, too. So,
2: Yeah, I would love to.
0: Well, thank you very much for coming on with us today. Man, that was so much great information. That was.
1: And I was glad that we even got a little woo-woo, too.
0: Right? It was fun. <laughs> just, you know, just a little skid.
1: <laughs> exactly. We all need that. So, Jen,
0: where can they find you? I'm always hanging out on Instagram at BrassyBroadJen. And I'm AJ Klingerman everywhere you look. And together...
1: We are at Beauty in the Geek Podcast on... Instagram. Also, if you haven't already, make sure that you come hang out with us on Facebook in the Beauty and the Gee Gang. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes. And we'll see you on the mat.